Welcome to High Crimes and Misdemeanors, where we explore the complex and constantly evolving world of aviation law. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the ins and outs of pilot DUIs. Joining us as always is Carlton Fields aviation attorney, Edward Page, and Stetson Law student, Nancy Erickson. Ed, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Ed Page, and I'm a partner at Carlton Fields. I've been here since 2000. I will have my 23rd year anniversary on January 4th of 2023. It's hard to believe. And during those 23 years, I have been practicing aviation law in the area of enforcement actions, crashes, and pilot medical certification. Nancy? I'm Nancy Erickson. I am a third year student at Stetson University College of Law. I had the pleasure of being mentored by Ed last summer um, when I was at Carlton Fields as a summer associate. And I have an interest in aviation law because I'm married to a pilot, so I come by it through marriage. Ed, can you touch on what we are going to talk about today? We are going to be talking about pilots and DUIs driving under the influence, or some states call it driving while intoxicated. And we're going to be talking about about that because it's one of the most important topics I think that we can address and help pilots understand because I see so much misinformation when I represent pilots who are concerned about having had a DUI or having refused a breathalyzer or having tested positive for a controlled substance and having been denied a medical or some other license or the like. And so this podcast is designed to correct and fix that folklore that exists out there regarding pilots and DUIs. What would you like to start with? I want to talk with uh, the folks about Federal Aviation Regulation 6115 entitled Offenses Involving Alcohol and Drugs. This is really the centerpiece of the FAA's regulatory framework or scheme to capture information from pilots who have had a DUI even when they either have submitted to a breathalyzer test or if they have refused a breathalyzer test or if they have submitted to a blood test or a urine screen. This is the regulation that the pilot goes to to figure out what their obligations are concerning that event. And in this statute, the linchpin for all reporting obligations and the starting point for the pilot, I don't care whether you're a charter pilot, a 135, a 121, or a Part 91 pilot, or some other FAA certificated pilot, this is where you come. This is the mecca of the Federal Aviation Regulations to discern, to understand what is next, where am I going, and like all good pilots do, thinking with the end in mind. So the linchpin in the regulation 6115 for this reporting obligation that must occur within 60 days of the motor vehicle action is in 6115 and it's the definition and the term, the term of art that the FAA uses, and it's called motor vehicle action. 
And in legal circles, it's always important to understand how that term is defined in the statute, rule, or regulation. And Nancy's going to tell us about that and what it means to have a motor vehicle action that would trigger a reporting obligation. Nancy? Well, Ed, as you alluded to earlier, a motor vehicle action is broader than just a DUI conviction. That term does include a DUI conviction under either federal or state law. It also includes if someone has their license canceled, suspended, or revoked, if the cause of that is related to drug or alcohol use. It also means if someone's had a license denied, um, if the cause is related to alcohol or drug use. So it's broader than just a conviction. All right, thank you for that. So let's talk next about what the actual reporting obligation is, because a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of pilots are kind of flabbergasted or flummoxed by what they're supposed to do when there is a motor vehicle action. Before we get there, though, uh, and what I see uh, a lot here in the pilots that call me for advice, legal advice and counsel about complying with 6115, they're stuck in the folklore of my case, I wasn't arrested, my case was dismissed, I still have my license, and the like. And my first suggestion to them is to hire a competent and trained DUI lawyer in the state in which they had their DUI charge, whether it's by refusal or by breathalyzer or something else, a blood or a urine test. And that's because that DUI lawyer in one of those 50 states will be the best person to go to to understand not their reporting obligation to the FAA about the DUI. That's a separate and distinct issue. But they will be in the best position to understand whether what Nancy just defined, a motor vehicle action, has occurred. For example, in some states, you see, even though you've had a DUI, say at a .05 or a .10 or a .15 or maybe even higher, the state in which that DUI occurred has not taken a motor vehicle action and may not until the case is resolved on its merits through a trial, a finding of guilt, a plea of no contest, or a plea of guilty. And so there is no reporting obligation to the FAA under 6115 at the moment. Other states, however, have a reporting obligation that is triggered the, the moment the person is arrested for DUI in that state. In some states, it de- and in some states, it depends on the uh, level of the blood alcohol blow or the results of the urine screen or whether the person refused. For example, in Florida, I believe that Florida law provides that if you refuse to take a breathalyzer, that your license is involved in a motor vehicle action as described in 6115, which Nancy just told us about, on the day of your DUI. And that triggers this reporting obligation for you, the pilot. It doesn't matter whether you're a 
Part 91, Part 121, Part 135, Charter Pilot, to report to the FAA within 60 days that motor vehicle action. This is almost invisible to the pilot, and that's the problem with how this statute or this regulation works. Because the pilot might keep the license and get what's called a business permit or be eligible for one. So you can see with 50 states, going back to our point, the point being contact a competent and trained DUI lawyer. We need to know what the significance in that particular state was of the DUI, whether it's by blowing or refusal or just your simple failure of what are called the field sobriety tests. All right, because you may have blown a .03 and be saying, look, I'm, I'm below the legal limit. That doesn't mean you're not going to get charged with DUI. And if you're charged with DUI, we have to look for that to that state's laws to determine whether there has, in fact, been a motor vehicle action. This is something that you don't want to mess with. This is a reporting obligation that's serious, and you're going to have to report this DUI and the results of it, whether it's under 6115 or at a later date when you're submitting a, your information and materials in what's now called Med, FAA MedExpress to obtain a new or renewed FAA medical certificate because the blank is right there. It requires you to report and if you don't we're going to talk about some cases where people were prosecuted in federal criminal court, federal criminal prosecutions for failing uh, under and in violation of Title 18 United States Code Section 1001 to report that DUI, that arrest, that conviction, and the like. So now let's talk about uh, some of these issues and I want to turn to Nancy to help me explain this, and that is, how is this reporting obligation satisfied, and what are the ways? Because you need to know that, too, so that you can surmount these obligations that we've been talking about and satisfy them. They're not that difficult, but you've got to understand them. Nancy, how do I notify the FAA? Well, the first step is to file a notification letter, which you can do either by filling out the form online on the FAA website, or you can mail the form or fax it to the FAA's Security and Hazardous Materials Safety Office. Probably the easiest is to fill out the form online if that's something that you're able to do. Do I have other options? Besides the online form, can I send it by, for example, fax or by paper mail, snail mail, as we now call it? You can, yes. You can mail it or fax it to the FAA's Security and Hazardous Materials Safety Office. And the online form just uh, summarizes what basic the basic facts are, correct, about my DUI? Yes. When it occurred and the like. Yep. And so the, it's important to know that this form needs to be accurate as well because the FAA takes this form, this information, and then 
obtains information from that particular jurisdiction, one of those 50 states in, in which your DUI occurred. And then they look at that information and determine whether they want to require you to submit to a, additional testing or additional information requirements so that they can figure out whether you have an alcohol, whether the pilot has an alcohol problem or not. As I told you at the outset, I've been handling aviation matters and disputes and pilot DUI reporting obligations now for a long time and I've seen an evolution, a sea change if you want, in how the FAA treats DUIs since 2000. For many years, it was the old, how many have you had? Is this your first DUI? And if it was, the FAA wasn't too bothered by it, as long as it wasn't like a .20 or something else that indicated to the FAA that you, the pilot had an alcohol problem. But in the past 10 years, I would say, the FAA has gotten very serious, very interested in pilot alcohol problems and DUIs and the like, and the addiction that goes with it, and has bumped their level of interest up tremendously. So when the pilot now reports the DUI, he's likely, he or she is likely to get back uh, a letter from the aviation medical certification branch at the FAA asking for additional details and if your blood alcohol level in that DUI was higher was a 0.15 or higher then you're going to get scrutinized even more thoroughly than I've mentioned and that more thorough screening may include requests from the FAA that within 60 days you provide information about your history with alcohol and a results of a psychiatric profile conducted by a psychiatrist or someone who is certified as a HIMS individual, Human Intervention Motivational Study. Uh, this is the FAA's terminology for someone who has been trained in addiction so that they can address whether the pilot is suffering from an alcohol or substance abuse addiction problem. And you also may be required to uh, submit to a psychological uh, examination that is administered in conformity with the FAA's protocols that are available on the FAA's website and also, by the way, on AOPA's website. So there exist some protocols for both psychiatrists and psychologists. A protocol is simply a checklist, if you will, something that pilots are familiar with, for the psychiatrist or psychologist to go down as they examine this pilot who is facing a DUI charge, whether, again, it's based upon refusal, blow, urine or otherwise to address during the examination of the pilot. So Ed, what happens after that process that you just described? 
how does the FAA consider the results of all those tests? Does it always take the same action after that, or does it depend on what the tests show? It really depends on what the tests show. It doesn't matter if you're a general aviation pilot, a third-class medical certificate holder, a second-class medical certificate holder, or a first-class medical certificate holder, or a holder of what's called a special issuance medical certificate. The FAA is trying to understand whether there is any alcohol or substance abuse involved that might affect your ability to serve as uh, the pilot in command or as a pilot in the aircraft. And so they're very alert and aware of uh, these things. And so when you go through these psychological or psychiatric profiles and submit your supplemental information to the FAA, the FAA may do a number of things. For example, they may come back and say, we want more. Number two, they may say, we want you to counsel, continue to counsel with a human intervention motivational study psychiatric or psychological addiction expert so that we can have some satisfaction, some resolution that we think alcohol is no longer a factor in your issue. Uh, I'm sorry, in, your, in, in the DUI that led you to re, uh, report this alcohol, so to speak, issue uh, to us. And it's important to note that during the pendency of this, you see, the pilot's medical certificate may run out. It may expire. And so we'll talk about that next, and that is what the reporting obligation is when you submit a new application for FAA medical certification. But in a nutshell, it's the FAA is responsive to the facts in the case, in my experience, which is, is, was this an O2 or was this a 2 uh, whether it's blood or um, a refusal or the like. So you may be saying, the pilot may be saying them to themselves, well, would you just tell me, Paige, should I blow or should I refuse? And neither of those are good options, okay? You just have to figure it out. And I want to point to this regulation uh, because, you see, it, the regulations under 6116, it's entitled Refusal to Submit to an Alcohol Test or to Furnish Test Results. And the penalty here is suspension or revocation of any certificates, ratings, or authorizations issued under this part. So refusal is not a good idea. But many pilots are tempted to refuse because they've had too much alcohol and they think they're going to blow a .20. But the FAA is smart about this, and they don't really like refusals at all. And they'll treat a refusal as if you had a very high blood alcohol level. So in my opinion, it's oftentimes better sometimes to go ahead and blow or submit the urine uh, sample, even if there are controls in it, it just is what it is. Because if you refuse, you see what the FAA can do. They're still going to implement and request these protocols be satisfied. And a refusal is also an indication, a strong indication to the FAA that you have an alcohol problem. All right, And that's the linchpin of what the FAA is trying to scrutinize.
So let's go back. Even if you blow a 0.20, the FAA is going to say, look, this, guy, this person has an alcohol problem. We need to request additional and supplemental information. Find out, is this what I call, these are my words, a birthday or wedding DUI or anniversary DUI? Or is this some habitual alcohol problem that's going on behind the scenes that we, the cops, or law enforcement just happened to detect by good fortune before the pilot flew DUI or drove DUI again and maybe hurt somebody or him or herself. So now what we want to talk about is what the pilot has to do who has been involved in a motor vehicle action or having had a DUI by refusal or breathalyzer or some other testing including if they mean uh, or maybe by just having failed the sobriety or field sobriety tests as they're called with a mid-level breathalyzer of say a 0.06 or right in that in the heartland there now the pilot's medical is up for renewal and the pilot must go to an aviation medical examiner to renew that medical certificate. We want to talk briefly about the pilot and the DUI and help that pilot decide and understand, more importantly, what the pilot's obligations are in renewing their FAA medical certificate. I see a lot of questions uh, in this area and that's why we've decided to cover it in this podcast. So the form that is used by the FAA is 8500-8 and Nancy has taken a look at this form because it has instructions on it. And when I try to explain this to pilot, I often use the Christmas analogy. How timely, because we've all opened presents and said, you know, I'm just going to put that together without reading the instructions. And the Lego project looks a little differently when we build it without looking at the instructions. So does the erector set. So do most other gifts that we get when we don't look at the instructions we just want to put it together and have fun <laughs> the same analogy applies to the FAA instructions in 8508 and in regard to DUIs Nancy's gonna summarize these for us quickly so that you have a good takeaway Nancy sure so the instructions on this form ask the pilot to report if they've been convicted of a DUI, um, and that includes being asked to pay a fine. Um, it also They also have to report if they've been convicted or subject to an administrative action for um, an offense for which their license was denied, suspended, canceled, or revoked, um, if that was the result of a drug or alcohol offense. And what else, Nancy, does the pilot agree to do so that the FAA can do what's called some fact-finding and cross-checking 
to determine if the pilot's reporting on the medical application is accurate? Well, they have to authorize the National Driver Register to release adverse driver history information about them to the FAA. So for the pilots listening to this, what this means is that the FAA gets access to your driver's history in all 50 states, okay? And they can look and find out if you've had a DUI, a reckless driving, a speeding ticket, all sorts of offenses that may appear in your state driving record and compare it to what you reported on your FAA medical certification application. In this regard, it's important to follow this rule. And that is that you can decide to either ask for permission or ask for forgiveness. Let me tell you that with the FAA, it works better most of the time if you ask for permission and simply disclose. I'm going to tell you and describe in a little bit some federal criminal prosecutions of people who have failed in this specific area to disclose DUI arrests and convictions and reckless drivings and refusals and the like because they were unaware or they thought they wouldn't get caught by the point that Nancy just made, and that is that the FAA is authorized when you submit an FAA medical application to tap into the National Driver Register database. And you're going to be there if your ticket was logged in in the state in which you were charged. What we want to talk about next is the information required about a pilot's medical history in the FAA medical certification application. This is often called 18V as in Victor and 18W and most pilots are aware of this because the FAA in the medical certification application is seeking to understand whether the person has ever had, as they use it, have you ever in your life been diagnosed with, had, or do you presently have any of the following? And you are required to check certain boxes. In 18V, Nancy's going to talk about what requirements there are, and in 18W, regarding alcohol. So in 18V, Ed, the FAA wants you to report if you have a history of convictions involving driving while intoxicated or impaired or while under the influence of alcohol or a drug, a history of convictions or administrative actions involving an offense that resulted in the denial, suspension, cancellation, or revocation of driving privileges or that resulted in your attendance at an educational or rehabilitation program. And then section W18W is going to be asking whether the pilot has a history of non-traffic convictions, either misdemeanors or felonies. And so thank you for that, Nancy. It's important when pilots look at 18V as in Victor, 
to focus on this language that speaks to whether the pilot has suffered any administrative actions. Because I hear from a lot of pilots that say, my DUI was dismissed. My DUI was reduced to reckless. My, my DU lawyer was wonderful and got it, this reduced to following too closely. Do I have to report? And the issue still goes back to finding a DUI lawyer who is competent and trained and who can tell us, despite the plea bargaining that may have occurred, your DUI case may have even been dismissed because you had a great DUI lawyer or there was a failure of proof. But the issue remains, even in a dismissed DUI case, and that is whether you were subject to an administrative action that led to a reporting obligation either under 6115 or on the medical certification application form that you're required doing about whether you checked yes or no and what your intent was there. All you can claim, all a pilot can claim is mistake. And mistakes simply don't work with the FAA. Your misunderstanding of what an administrative action does uh, not count in this arena. And so it's important to get it right. This is not for your DUI lawyer exclusively. This is for your FAA enforcement lawyer to answer how you might should comply with the 18V question by consulting with your DUI lawyer in the state in which you were arrested or charged with DUI. So Ed, you've told us that it's better to ask permission to go ahead and report on the medical form than to ask for forgiveness. What happens if a pilot decides to just roll the dice and not report and hope that the FAA doesn't find out what happens. Well, what happens is that severe consequences can follow. And so if a pilot fails to report an arrest or a DUI, a refusal or some other, as we've just discussed, administrative action or a conviction, any kind of incident that involves alcohol, the consequences are really several, and I want to talk about two of the bigger ones because that would should get the attention of most pilots who are concerned about their medical certification and continuing to fly either for pleasure or to earn a living. And that is that, believe it or not, <clears throat> some of these cases make it into federal criminal court in the United States as prosecutions under United States Code 18, Title 18, Section 1001, uh, which lawyers call the False Statement Statute. And I'm going to give you three examples. In 2003, yes, it was an older case, but there are many newer cases. A flight instructor was jailed for covering up DUI charges on his FAA medical certification application. Another older case, 
uh, involved an air traffic controller who was indicted federally uh, for five counts of lying about DUIs in his medical certification application. And finally, a, uh, another flight instructor uh, pled guilty in the past to falsifying an airman medical certification application by failing to include information there about prior DUI convictions. And these cases and similar ones can be located at the United States Department of Transportation Office of Inspector General website under the investigations heading and you will see a recent case from 2022 where a pilot has been charged by federal criminal indictment for failing to disclose a DUI administrative action and conviction in his FAA medical certification application. Ed, where can listeners go to get more information on pilot DUIs? The first place I would look is FAA.gov and there's a search bar where you can type in DUI or alcohol or conviction and find a lot of information about how alcohol is dealt with and DUIs and the like by the FAA. The other source of information is AOPA's website. And then finally, I welcome anybody to call me, Ed Page, at 813-229-4308 or epage at carltonfields.com. I'm happy to answer your questions about reporting obligations, DUIs and their consequences for the pilot community and help you understand uh, that there's more to this than meets the eye. All right, Ed, what do you have in mind for the next episode? Well, as in the continuing series of high crimes and misdemeanors, Nancy Erickson and I in the next podcast are going to address a burgeoning problem that the FAA is putting as one of its priorities for enforcement is one that deals with box X in the FAA's 8508, that's 18X, which requires the pilot applicant to check whether or not there is any other illness, disability, or surgery involved in their medical history. This is one of uh, the FAA's priorities, and we've seen a recent indictment about this in 2022. This is a federal indictment, federal court, where someone was charged with providing inaccurate and untruthful information to the FAA about their disability. This can mean a social security disability or veterans disability or the like, where it makes the person who has a disability subject to a prosecution for United States Code uh, Title 18, Section 1001, the Federal False Statement Statute. And we'll address this in our next podcast and tell pilots how to avoid this because it's generally a misunderstood, I should say, area. Thank you for tuning in to High Crimes and Misdemeanors with Ed Page and Nancy Erickson, brought to you by Carlton Fields.
This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields.